And the rest of us, if we could open our Bibles to Acts chapter 20. And as we're opening to Acts chapter 20, I'm going to wish Lori Sweet a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Lori Sweet. That's right. Don't worry, I got your back. There's another birthday person in the room, but I'm not going to say who it is. So, you have to find them out. Um, anyways, <laughs> Acts chapter 20. You got nothing back there? That's all right, we've got Bibles, I guess. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand. There's one in the seat back in front of you, all that good stuff. All right, cool. Uh, let's pray. Father, just want to thank you for your word. Thank you so much for your precious word to us. It is life to us who are spiritual. To the carnal man, to the person who does not have your spirit in you, it's foolishness, it's nonsense. But to those who are being saved, it is life. Because they're the very words that come from your heart, Lord God. And so implant your word deeply within our hearts. Help us to grow this morning in love, not just knowledge, Lord, but love for one another. And we just want to thank you for this fellowship and this time. We love you. Amen. You know, uh, our vision statement for our church is to glorify God by loving and obeying Jesus Christ. We want to love and we want to obey Jesus Christ. When we love Jesus Christ, we're obeying Jesus Christ, for Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey what I say. And that brings glory to God, and that is our our big heart of a church. We just want to love and obey Jesus Christ more and more and more and more, and this brings glory to God, and it brings life to our spirits, our lives, amen? And how we learn how to do that is called discipleship. That's just following Jesus. How many of you, as soon as you were born again, you knew exactly how to get up and run and and jump for joy? Yes, we did. But how to actually live our lives in Christ? Did you have that all figured out yet? No, you just knew there was darkness and light. And a great big light came into the room. And it illuminated our hearts. And our sinfulness was just exposed for what it was. And in a moment, it was taken away by his precious blood. Praise the Lord and we're free. Amen? And now he's teaching us to walk in him as his kids. We've been adopted. We've been brought into his family. We've been loved with an incredible, um, unquenching uh, love of, of the Father towards us. And he is continuing to minister to us week after week, day after day, by his spirit, through his word, through the body of Christ, so that we would grow up to be more like Jesus, which is why he saved us, to partake of his nature, of his nature, which is what we're aiming for here, which we see personified in Jesus. But how many of you know we don't have Jesus actually walking the earth anymore? He ascended. And his plan was to put his life and his spirit and how he walked into actual people around him. And that's the church. Acts chapter 2. The church is born. The Holy Spirit fell. People were filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. Same thing. 
And now Jesus has multiplied and he's walking around in us. And how many of you, even within the church, had some really great role models of what that, is to, what that looks like? I've had some. It's been awesome. It's been few and far between. But when I look at the Apostle Paul, I mean, we all just look at this guy and go, that is something else. He was something else. He truly just lived after God. And as we look at the book of Acts, the first 12 chapters that we've been in, basically deals with the birth of the church all the way up to the heavy persecution by Saul, who is Paul. And he got radically changed by Jesus. So the guy that was actually murdering people, murdering Christians, putting them in jail and all that stuff, that's the guy who writes basically almost the whole New Testament. Pretty wild what God can do with pretty bad people, amen? But his life was changed when he met Jesus. He was a different person. He was totally changed. And so as we're going through the book of Acts, we're we're looking at, at, at this this life, the second half, basically, of, of the book of Acts is, is Paul's journeys, how he's going out and obeying Jesus by bringing the gospel to all these people who did not have the gospel, Gentiles, non-Jews mostly, even though he was running into Jews everywhere. But, and, and so as we're teaching through the book of Acts, which is a historical book, he runs into churches. He runs into people. He, he, he actually births churches all over. And so as we get to those churches, we stop and we actually go to what were called epistles, all the other books, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And we start reading how he teaches and interacts with these churches. And so that's kind of our journey right now. We just finished the book of Ephesians, for those of you who are just joining us. And we're back in Acts chapter 20. He's on his third missionary journey. That's the yellow section there. And that's good. And so... We get into Acts chapter 20, and, and there's not much doctrine, as I mentioned last week. There's not much to, he's not telling you what to do or what not to do. It's just saying where he went and how he lived. But when we were talking about role models in, in the faith, I just think that we should pause and look at the life of Paul. And, and I'm kind of taking it a little bit slow. You know I take it slow sometimes. But just look at how he lived, what he did, why he did it. You know, we're so busy in our culture. We wonder what it is to actually be a Christian. Discipleship is actually hanging around other people and watching life happen, seeing how they follow. It's not just, not just teaching. It's living life with people. It's seeing how they react to circumstances. What do they do? What their character is like? That's what parenting is, amen? That's why... You get to see the great things and the ungreat things in your children, amen? <laughs> the things you've trained them in. And by the way, things they have naturally because they're sinnerlings. But we read, and I just want to focus on this, this tremendous love that Paul had for Jesus Christ and it was directly expressed in his obedience to Jesus Christ by loving the church. We're not talking about the building, we're talking about the people, amen? Loving the church. That's how we say we love God. It gets translated into relationships around you. It gets translated into people around you. And how that looks, we're gonna look at uh, in the life of Paul. 
And so last week in chapter 20, verse 1, it says that after an uproar had ended, Paul gathered the disciples and he encouraged them and he said his goodbyes to them. And as we mentioned, one of the areas that we see Paul, and I'm not going to reteach these things, but we saw in verse 1 how he loved the church was through his affection and his concern. There was a riot in Ephesus. He almost lost his life, he and others. And immediately after that happens, he gathers the disciples together and he encourages them. He gathers them together. I don't know about you, but when you've been through a traumatic experience, I just am self-focused. I, I can't help it sometimes, you know. But Paul, probably because he's been through this a lot, you know, he gets stoned in every city, basically, or shipwrecked, or something's going on in his life. He's beaten, chased out of a place. Uh, he's just self, he's, he's concerned. What, it, what does the rest of the church think what, when they're looking at the situation? Is their faith going to waver? Because they've got to go back into that city and live. So he gathers them together, and he encourages them, comforts them, and he puts their arm around. That's that saying goodbye word in Greek is to basically give a holy kiss. It's our equivalent of putting their arm around someone and greeting them and, and caring for them. So we see Paul just actually being affectionate towards the church. And secondly, we read that after that, it said he went on to Macedonia. And we know from verses in 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that the reason why Paul went on to Macedonia is because he was working up a collection. He wanted to give to the destitute, poor church in Jerusalem. And so he was making his way as he was going on his third missionary journey. He was going to these churches and, and gathering and telling them to gather up a collection, get money. Because we're going to take from you Gentiles and go give it back to this Jewish foundation from which the word actually originated from. We're, we're going to unify the church by giving. We're going to actually meet a need. And so he's gathering delegates from all these cities who are following with him. He's gathering money. It took him a year to do it. He had to write to the church in Corinth who really refused to give. Two times, three times. He says, don't make me come over there. He was sending collection notices. Isn't that crazy? But it took him a year. He was a giver. He showed his love for the church by giving. He saw a need within the church. Someone didn't have something, truly didn't have something. And so he was motivated by love within his own heart. Yes, he was motivated by love within his own heart to go and, 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 and draw out from others goodwill and he would take that and he would bring that to someone in need how many of you can relate with that totally that's kind of like your power alley yeah gift of giving see how paul loved loved, loved like that and now we come to verse two which shows us another way that he loved jesus by loving the church and it says that he traveled through that area macedonia speaking Many words of encouragement to the people and finally arrived in Greece where he stayed three months. And so as Paul was traveling, he spoke many words of encouragement to the people. Paul was an encourager. How many of you like discouragers in your life? How many of you need more discouragers in your life? No? Paul was an encourager. 
That was who he was. Now the word for encourager here is, is parakaleo, and I know this is going to help you this week. And Byron calls it parakeet. That's calls the Holy Spirit a parakeet. Byron, he got trouble. Now the but paraclete means comforter. But parakaleo it means to come along one side to walk with someone with a purpose of comforting them. To come alongside and to walk alongside someone with a purpose of comforting. Now, I don't want you to think, because quite often we have a a word in Greek and we're trying to grab three or four English words that kind of encapsulate what that one word meant. Does that make sense? Because it's hard to translate something. And so you have to look at the context of what they're talking about to pull out the different meaning within that word. And so comforting, can, uh, that word encouragement can mean to come alongside and put your arm around someone, but it's not limited to that. It's not limited to that. So I'm not uh, minimizing that, but that's not the whole picture. So comforting is not limited to putting your arm around someone in need. That's definitely, absolutely in there, but the fuller biblical sense is motivated uh, by love as well, and it is tied to pointing people to the hope and the truth according to the gospel, according to the scriptures. And so the word for encourage is often translated as beseeching or begging or urging. Same word, comfort, urge. It's the same word. Let me, let me show you. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, I beg you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I urge you. Now, instead of urge, you could pop in the word encourage. I encourage I strongly encourage you to live this way. Therefore, I encourage you, brothers and sisters. But it doesn't necessarily work to put in the English word comfort in there, does it? It's a different side of that word there. So that's why it also can say encourage. Paul's saying in Romans 12, uh, 12, he's saying, I'm coming alongside of you, my brothers and sisters, and I'm strongly encouraging you to live like Jesus urges the word that better conveys what Paul is doing there. So that word for encourage is to comfort and, and, and to exhort is another word, to urge, to beg. So pericoleo is a verb that means to encourage and to exhort. So I think it's important to get that fuller biblical sense of what it means to encourage. It's not just comforting, it's also exhortation. It's seeing something, a void in someone or a hurt in someone and, and strongly encouraging them towards truth that would bring them comfort in what they're going through. Does that make sense? This is why my mind's eye, uh, when I picture the word um, uh, here, it, it, it just brings up a picture of a parent or a coach. Like a parent and a coach, because that, that just encapsulates it for me. A parent is one who comforts and strongly urges and trains and is pushing someone for their benefit. Amen? Motivated by love. A coach is doing the same thing, drawing someone out of them. I wouldn't say love all the time, but they're, they're pulling something out of them, pushing them towards something, encouraging, discouraging them, encouraging them when they, when they get up, when they're discouraged, they pick them up and they say, come on, let's get going. 
this is where we're going. This is where we're headed. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to put courage into you to continue on. So, the comfort, yes, and the urge and encourage and, and I just want us to think about those things. And some of you might be going to sleep right now because this is not necessarily where your heart beats. But for some of you, you're going, yeah, that's me. I long to do that stuff. Guess what's happening? The Lord's showing you what your spiritual gift is, who you are in Christ. It's amazing stuff. This is what Paul was doing. He was coming alongside brothers and sisters in the church, and he was encouraging them. Now, interestingly enough, the verb is parakaleo, as we mentioned, but the noun form for the word is parakalesis, and it means to exhort or to preach. So preaching and exhortation has that element of comforting people with the truth of the gospel, urging people to find comfort by aligning their lives with what is true. That's pretty neat. And so we find that Paul not only went around encouraging and that was <coughs> actually one of, his, um, one of his gifts. But flick back to Romans chapter 12 real quickly. It says, as we just read, he begged and encouraged them to live a life worthy. And as you're reading for those first few verses there, then he proceeds to remind them that being a living sacrifice is, is living for others, and he connects it with being a part of the body. And, and showing our love to God is wholeheartedly devoting ourselves to one another. And so in verse 6, he says we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Do you know you have different gifts? You have been gifted by God if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you are born again. By nature, you have been given spiritual giftings. And notice, they're to each one, they're different. That's pretty neat. But if your gift is prophesying, he says, then prophesy according with your faith, according to your faith. If it is serving, then serve. How many of you just like, I just love to serve. Get me away from the pulpit, but gosh, put something in my hand and let me help. I will do that. Then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, give encouragement. If it's giving, some of you are givers. Give. Do it. Generously, it says. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Although we're to encourage one another in the faith, some are gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit to edify the church in various ways. And so Paul is saying encouragers, those who gravitate towards comforting others, with the truth of God's word, with spiritual truth. We can't comfort each other with fluff. We live in a really hard, difficult world. The way we encourage one another is we set each other's eyes on truth. This is truth in the midst of the storm. God will not forsake you. God is here. God has a plan. God loves you. We put his eyes, we put people's eyes on the truth. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. 
That's what we do. So Paul's saying encouragers, those who do that, do it wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. Give yourself fully to what edifies the body. Why? Why would Paul say do that wholeheartedly? He says in the next verses, 9 and 10, he says, love must be sincere. Sincere means without, without wax. As I've shared before, they would take pots, they would make them, and if they had cracks in them, what they'd do is they'd put wax and they'd fill up the cracks and they'd paint over them. And then they'd sell them and people would buy them. And when they first put them on the fire and they heated them up, what happened to the wax? It melted and all the holes shine through. You must be sincere. You must be without wax. How many of you feel like you serve with wax? You teach with wax. You encourage with wax. When the heat comes, you fall apart. Anyone? Half-hearted. What do you think the Lord's bringing us towards? Maturity is wholeheartedness in the midst of adversity, in the midst of trials. And so when we're looking back at Paul, what do we see when the riot happens? I'm out of here. What, is it, what do we see? Sincerity. He's sincerely that way. He is true. That didn't happen overnight. That's a work of the Spirit in Paul's life. That's a work of the Spirit in your life, brother and sister. How many of you right now are just going, man, I am so waxy? Yes. The Lord Jesus would desire to refine us, purify us, allow him to come fill the cracks, let his nature take over. Jesus is without wax. He's sincere. He holds up to trials. He resists sin to the point of bloodshed. Wow. That's the same spirit that's within you. And we need to let it live. Let him live. So he says, love must be sincere. That's the motive for why we do what we do. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Ouch. Love is the motive. Love is expressed in our action. The Holy Spirit works out through our spiritual giftings. You might say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not an exhorter. I'm not an encourager. I'm not a comforter. Not all are, by the way. Did you know that? You might say, my gift is helps or leadership or teaching or healing or mercy or giving, whatever it is. Give yourselves fully to your brothers and sisters, to those God's put around you. Give yourself fully to it. That's love. That's how you show love to God is by your love for one another. And this is the picture that, that we see here with Paul in these, these, these verses in Acts. His love for the Lord was expressed by his love for the church, that is, the people. He shows affection and concern as he gathers them after the rite in Ephesus when he, he's going to Macedonia because his concern is what? For the poor, for those who are hurting. That's love, right? And Paul, as we read, in verse 2, finally, he's an encourager. 
And that was no doubt his his spiritual gift. He used it over and over, encouraging the church in their distress, in their disobedience, in their hardships, in all sorts of circumstances he encouraged. And and it it says he encouraged with what? Many words. Verse 2, how many of you have kids or grandkids? You know where I'm going with this. How many of you love your children? Amen. A parent that loves their child will speak many words to them. Many words of encouragement. Many words of comfort. Many words of exhortation. Urging them. That's love. Amen. If you didn't care, you wouldn't do anything. Same with the Lord with us. How many days, how many weeks Maybe has the Lord worked on you in an issue, years perhaps, with many words, with many people, with many circumstances, just constantly speaking to your heart. He loves you. He encourages you, comforts you. He knows what you're going through. He sees what can be. He knows your limitations. He comes alongside of you. He comforts you. He counsels you, encourages you, draws out Jesus within you, amen? I love that about the Lord. Paul loved Jesus and was called to make disciples of the Gentiles. Disciples do not appear overnight, do they? Disciples are people who are disciplined. That's what disciple means. Disciplined in what? In loving and obeying Jesus Christ. That's what it is. They're they're little Jesuses. Disciples don't appear overnight. This is why Jesus said that in Matthew 18, verses 20, I'll go out and make disciples, teaching them to obey. Because disciples need to be... What's my... There we go. Disciples need to be made. How do you think disciples are taught to obey Jesus? Through many words. Many words. Many teachings. When Jesus was teaching the disciples, he says, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. Well, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this and like this. Day after day, year after year. And he would not only show it, he would model it to them. We're getting to that part. But Paul was teaching specifically the word of God to them comforted the hearts of the disciples. It's through many words that disciples are formed. Words of comfort and exhortation, like in Galatians 4.19, where we see the heart of Paul like a father longing for his spiritual kids to grow up. He said, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. That's that's encouraging, exhortation, comfort. There's just, he's all in. He cares deeply about others. How we need to be encouraged in the Lord, not just attaboys, but a steady diet of truth and love and grace, growing us in Christ through his precious word. This is why we teach the word here. Because it does all those things. It exhorts, it encourages, it rebukes. It does all those things. When we just talk about fluff, you don't grow. You don't grow. If I just start talking to you about everything, oh, you're so good. Look how awesome you are. Oh, oh, let's get more people because I want to hear how awesome I am. 
Let me tell you, it's great to have that kind of thing in your life. I love that, and that's part of it, to go, come on, let's go. Look who you are in the Lord. But how many of you need to be tra- changed in, in, in your thinking about how you're living life? Running into the same thing over and over and over. The Christianity is just hard. Think the Lord wants to teach us something, encourage us, coach us, parent us? Yeah, absolutely. And when we take that, and we apply it to our hearts, guess what happens? We grow, and there's life, and then joy starts to happen, and it's not so difficult. I've taught guitar for years, and it's amazing when, when kids go, yes, I want to play guitar. I go, okay, great. It's going to hurt. It's not like piano. You piano wimps out there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that hurts in a different way. My wife's a piano player, so I just give it. But it hurts because you have to develop calluses. You're pushing your fingers on steel over and over and over. And I know it's like a sissy kind of hurt. But I mean, it's, it's still, it hurts, right? And, and you can get discouraged because you start, you're so excited. But then you go, man, this is difficult. You've got to push through. Come on, let's go. We can do it. Once you develop those calluses, you're going to get a little coordination after that. And, and you're going to start to make music, right? Amen. How we need to be encouraged in the Lord. But disciples are not only encouraged and built up through many words, but by time spent. It's not just talking, which I, I am obviously here doing, but it's time spent. It's time spent. Look in verse 3. Paul says he stayed in Greece, which is most likely the Corinthian church. Boy, they needed help. How many of you need help? I apologize, this keeps cutting out on me. Some people need more time than others. Corinth definitely needed that, but in verse 3 says, Paul stayed in Greece for three months. The church needed some guidance. They needed encouragement and direction. If you love someone, you show that by spending some time with them, don't you? You prioritize your life around them. You let them know you love them by spending time. This is fellowship. This is key into loving and obeying Jesus Christ. This is why when we look at our vision, that center part is to glorify God by loving and obeying Jesus Christ. And part of the outer way of, the way that works out is through fellowship, hanging out with one another. You've got to spend time with one another. If Jesus says to love one another and we're not spending one time with one another, what happens? We're not loving one another. We're not obeying the Lord. <laughs> we're not glorifying God. You see how that works out? We wonder why we're fruitless. We wonder why we're, we're not, our needs aren't met or we're not feeling neat, uh, needed in other people's lives. We've got to connect. That's a choice. Paul says, I choose to spend three months with you. I choose to spend time with you. Paul spent time with people, encouraging them. We spend time with Jesus because we love Jesus, right? We spend time with others because we love the people that Jesus loves. We see this in the life of Jesus with his disciples. And by the way, Jesus was only one place at one time. Remember that? He was only at one place at one time. So was Jesus supposed to spend time every, with everybody equally? Is that the way it works? No, he spent time with the masses, did he not? His disciples were with him. But he wasn't able to be, spend that much time with them. I mean, he was around them and teaching and ministering, but he'd move on. But his disciples... 
120 he had a little bit more time with. And then the 12, what do you think about the 12? He pulled them aside and spent more time the evenings he was hanging out with them. And he had the three. He had the three who would eventually take over the church. And I would even go on to say the one, John, the one disciple whom Jesus loved, who would go on to write, pen the book of Revelation. But, Je- but Jesus spent time encouraging and teaching. Paul did the same. Paul showed his love for Jesus by encouraging the church. This took time. How is your time spent? Ouch, I know. I'm asking myself these questions before I get to you guys, okay? So <laughs> how's, how's our time spent? What do you treasure? Oh, you're messing with holy ground, pastor. Don't touch that. This is not saying we all quit our jobs and go sit on a hill in lotus positions together. It's not what we're talking about. Encouraging the body of Christ takes time. Loving each other takes time. You know, using spiritual gifts takes time. For some, it might be raising godly children for that season. Amen? I know that's Christine's main thing right now. She'd love to be doing a lot of other things, but you know what? Raising godly kids, that's the season she's in. Her little disciples, John and Ruth. Sorry, there's just not much time. How many of you mothers just go, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed, you know? Now, now you grandmothers of old, you were Jedis. I know, you guys did everything. It's getting crazy these days. But for others, God might have graced you with some more freedom and a, and a wider influence to do that. But do you have time for a Paul in your life? Let me ask you do, you, have, do you have time for a Paul in your life? Someone who is walking alongside of you and encouraging you? Someone older in the Lord, feeding into your life? Do you have time for that? Have you made time for that? How about a Timothy? Someone you are feeding into, you are encouraging in the Lord. Not perfect, by the way. I'm crying out loud, right? Now I realize, not all our teachers and the like, but we're all able to, to be in the word and receive from the body and give to the body in various giftings. We all have a place in encouraging each other and following after Jesus. Who's your Paul? Who are you, who's pouring into you spiritually? And who's your Timothy? Who are you pouring into? We're all given 24 hours in a day, are we not? That's something we all have, 24 hours in a day different pay scales, different things, and all that stuff. Forget all that. You've all been given 24 hours in a day. Amen? Working hard to provide for your loved ones and others shows love. Absolutely. Taking care of our kids shows love. These are godly things. We know that. But what does the Lord say about, about our schedules? You know? This is not a guilt trip. There's man's way, then there's God's way. What does he say? What does the word say about these things? What did, what did Jesus do? How did he live? But Paul loved the Lord's people. He was around the Lord's people. He gave his life. He gave his time and his gifts for their benefit. But it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. How many of you find that loving in that way is going to require sacrifice? Something has to give. You've got to talk with the Lord about that. Amen? How many of you find that um, 
I found this, that as soon as you start to step out in doing that kind of life, that it just seems like, what in the world just happened? And you immediately meet discouragement and opposition and like, this is not fun. And, and all of a sudden, it just gets really hard real fast. And you feel that? Have you ever experienced that? Start to step out and live that kind of life for others? You get hit? What do you think is going on here with Paul? What does it say? Verse 3. It says, Because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. (sighs) Man, he had plans. He knew where he wanted to go. He he was obeying the Lord and what he wanted to do, but he found opposition. You will be opposed. When you start to love, you're going to have opposition. And by the way, sometimes it's going to be from the people you're trying to love. Did you know that? That's what love is. It's an action. It's not an emotion. Parents say amen. (laughs) You just love fiercely. But notice, he's loving the Lord and he's loving, loving people. It's not always easy. It can be discouraging, but look at Paul. 1 Corinthians uh, thirteen seven says that love always perseveres. That's a character of love. Love always perseveres. Perseverance, persistence, similar words, same meaning, use what you want. But Paul had opposition, serious opposition wherever he went, but he was determined to persevere. Love perseveres. How many of you are having a hard time loving in a circumstance? Not me. We all are. Love perseveres. But in this world, love is an emotion. Love does not persevere. Love is about feelings and self-centered. That is not God's love. We need to be retrained in our thinking about what true love is. He didn't let the plans of the enemy stop him from loving Jesus and his people. He went back through Macedonia. It wasn't what he planned, but he had to persevere. He found a way around it. Amen? Paul persevered opposition because he loved God's people. We see so many pastors in the ministry. When things get difficult, what do they do? See you later, greener pastures. It's not love. You continue to persevere. You know, I think... The reason why I've been able to persevere with you all, I'm just, <laughs> right, don't worry, we're going to flip it back around a second. <coughs> no, you know how it is being, being in a family. Everybody gets discouraged from time to time, and you just want to bail or check out or whatever it is, right? Everybody has those things. But you flip it around and you go, you know what? If anybody deserved to be left, it's me. I've been so hard-hearted and stubborn and ornery and self-centered in my life and so self-focused, still am. And yet God continues to pursue me relentlessly. And when I view him that way and and I sense his love for me, 
No matter how many times I've fallen, no matter how many times I've blown it, no matter how many times stupid things I've said, all that stuff, he just still loves me with a tenacity. It's a choice on his part. It's not an emotion on his part. Believe me, it's not. He's just, he just loves. That same love that he loves me with, I then I go, man, I have to love others with that. Because if I don't, my lenses are all messed up. Because that is how God loves. It's not saying we don't point out error. It's not saying we don't point out things and try to encourage people towards truth and all these things, but we persevere. Love perseveres. We find a way through. Amen? With each other. Loving each other is difficult. There's going to be opposition from the outside. We're going to see in verse 4 that he had disciples around him. They were watching his life. Did you know that? How did he handle adversity? Would he persevere? Would he continue to obey Jesus' call even when it got hard, husbands and wives? Amen? Did he really love God that much? Did he really love the church that much? Would he persevere? He did. He went back to Macedonia. Didn't want to, but he did. And he's accompanied by seven guys here. You can read their names. Something to know here. Paul had seven people following him. He brought people along in what he was doing. Church, just looking at Paul's life, I want to love like that. Do you want to love like that? That's the way Jesus loves. It's not something we can work up, but we can choose by faith to follow in the footpaths of Jesus. Say, Lord, do that in me. Show me how I'm to love my brothers and sisters because your word says that if I love you, I've got to love them. There's no difference. I've got to love them. That's the practical application of our, of our being born again. How does that look? What's that for you? Do you know what that looks like? I want to find out with you. I want to dialogue with you. Hang around people. Come this Wednesday. We're having a potluck here Wednesday night, uh, 6 to 8 o'clock. Time change. Might be a little later. We might do barbecue. Who knows? Come bug me afterwards. Read your bulletin. Get around the people of, of Christ. Throw aside a different night. You know, just set aside a time, set aside time for the body, for hanging out with one another, getting each other's lives. Call someone, invite them over to your house, go meet them somewhere, hang out with them, whatever it might be. Something's got to give, right? Invest yourself in others. Love like they did. And the last thing I want to say, by the way, I know you're all like, gosh, will this guy ever stop? I know it's a problem, but Acts chapter 20. We just got to meditate on these things just a little bit. I love Acts chapter 20. My favorite chapter so far. Verse 7, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. that's next week I know the church will be empty don't worry it'll be short I plan to get through the whole chapter 
Love perseveres. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul says, I urge you to imitate me. That word imitate means to mimic. I urge you, I encourage you to imitate me. And then later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, follow my example. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. As I mimic Christ, you mimic me. That's powerful. Love like me because I love like Christ. Love like me because I love like Christ. What an example of God's love. A man who is poured out, who loved like Jesus through affection, through giving, through encouragement, through time spent, through perseverance, through discipleship. You know, brothers and sisters, may we choose the cross of Christ in our lives this week. May we lay down our lives so that others might live. May we choose to suffer so that others might become whole. Amen? May we love like Paul. May we love like Jesus. Praise the Lord. Amen? Father, we give you this day, the Lord's day. And we ask that you would pour out your spirit upon our church, not so that we could have feelings, but so that we would actually have the fruit of love in our lives. Love covers a multitude of sin. Love perseveres. Love doesn't keep record of wrongs. All these things, love is a one another thing. Jesus, love through us. And may our lives be conformed to the new life. We want to see Jesus more and more in our hearts and lives. So raise yourself up within us. Resurrection, power, and life we're asking for. This week, be Lord of all. Lord of my calendar. Lord of my life. Lord of my aspirations. Lord of all, my, all that I want to do and all that I want to be. Take full lordship. You've not just saved me from the penalty of sin. You want to save me to do something in this life that is worthy of you, which is to love like you've loved. So Lord, we ask for that, just empowerment this week. We ask it in the name of Jesus. We know it's your will. Amen.